Liverpool 3 0. Call it, take it quickly, Origi! Yeah! Hello and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. The Reds are back to winning ways in the league with a 3-0 win over Brentford. My name is Luke and I'm joined by James, as usual, to discuss everything to do with Liverpool FC. James, how are you doing this week, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Good to be coming back on after a win, so yeah, <laughs> we'll dive straight into it. It's been a little while since we've talked about a Premier League win, hasn't it? Um, the various kind of um, cancellations due to COVID and there's been a lot of cup games and a lot's been going on. Um, but a 3-0 win over Brentford in the Premier League, Fabinho, Oxlade-Chamberlain and Minamino, the goal scorers. I think what we said last week, James, wasn't it? It was just that the main thing was just to get three points in this one. And even though it wasn't pretty at times, particularly maybe in the first half, you can't really complain about a 3-0 win. No, you can't, especially against the team who earlier on in the season we conceded three goals against. Um, so it was it was a positive to keep a clean sheet. I think that was the main thing. Um, we've seen Brentford even against some of the bigger teams this season have, have, have caused you know they've caused Chelsea problems. Um, obviously, they beat Arsenal on the opening day. So you know it wasn't a game to to take lightly or an opponent to take lightly. But like you said, it's it's just a case now of if you. You know, if you've got to wait for Mane and Salah to come back to see the best of Liverpool, then all you can just do is, is, is win at the moment and, you know, go above Chelsea in the league. Obviously, we've got the game in hand and we're still going to play Manchester City. So, if you just keep winning the games, put the pressure on, you never know. It's going to be a tough ask, but just keep winning games and, and that's all you can ask of them and that's what they did. Yeah, and obviously Man City are kind of in a little bit of a league of their own at the moment, aren't they? At the top of the table there, I think it's 12 points clear and obviously Liverpool have got a game in hand against Leeds at home, which you would probably back back Liverpool to win. Um, but even so, it's going to be a tall order, really, isn't it, to win the title this season, given what we've got to do. Obviously, it's not over yet. So we're only in January. But just looking at how City are playing and, and the various issues we've already identified with Liverpool this season, second place might, unfortunately, be the best it's going to be in the league. Yeah, I think if, 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 you know, if, if Liverpool can finish second, can win a Carabao Cup, and go all out in the Champions League and, and potentially come away with that, then I still think it's been a good season for us. I think, you know, me, you and Max sat here on, you know, the build-up to the, you know, the, the new season and we all said Manchester City, we thought we're going to win the league. So it's not come as a massive shock not to see Liverpool at the top and not to see Liverpool racing clear. You know, they went and signed Jack Grealish for £100 million in the summer and he's not even playing. Um, yeah. We signed our only player back in, in May uh, <laughs> and then that was it didn't sign any players in the window so it's always going to be a tall ask you know they've lost Mares to the African Cup of Nations haven't missed him we lose two players and you know it, it completely changes the side but just you know like I said you win your game in hand and I think if we and if we beat City I think there's only five points in it five six points in it so it's not completely over um but the way Manchester City are going at the moment um to like a juggernaut again when they go on these winning runs it's hard to see whenever they're going to fall apart um but yeah fingers crossed something can come out of the season in the premier league um and talking about let's talk about this game in a little bit more detail then talk about the positives um the big standout i guess is that trent alexander arnold another assist for him and he's now 10 in the premier league four assists that's more than anyone we spoke about him many many times about what a generational talent he is um he's only a few assists away from being the mo- having the most assists for a defender in Premier League history. Uh, Leighton Baines currently has that 
record and the record for amount of assists in a Premier League season is, is 20, which is um, a Kevin De Bruyne record and Trent's halfway there already um, with four or five months left to go. I mean, what else can we say about him really? He's just a fantastic, magnificent footballer, isn't he? Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous, especially like you said, from a right back. He's, I think Omri had the record um, and then De Bruyne broke the record and like you said, Trent's doing it but from right back we've seen. You know, the other two players, De Bruyne plays high up the pitch and Thierry Omri obviously was a striker. So it is, I think, stuff like that goes under the radar, especially from rival fans. I think, you know, it's always this myth that, you know, he just crosses the ball and he put, if you put 40 crosses in the box, obviously someone's going to score. But I think when you actually look at numbers and you go, you know, he's, he's on 10 at the moment, he's only three away from his own, from breaking the record, his own record, yeah. or two away from his own record that he previously set two years ago for just ridiculous for, for for his age. And I think there was a few question marks around him, especially last season uh, with his form. And then obviously he was dropped from the England squad. And then I think people wondered, would he ever, you know, could, can you recover from, from being dropped? Um, but I think, you know, once you've got that solid back four, um, I think obviously that's where you see the best of Trent. But, you know, it's, everyone says who's the best. And, you know, right back in the Premier League, who's the best English right back? And I think by far, by far it's Trent Alexander-Arnold. Yeah, and people always obviously label the defensive thing at him, but I think only, um, Chelsea this season have only conceded one less goal than Liverpool or, or something like that. It's very, very close anyway. So statistically, when people point, say, oh, you know, he's not that great defensively, I think that's a massive myth as well. I think we've seen him time and time again come up against some of the best players in the world um, and really hold his own in a, in a, a defensive sense. Um, obviously, there's times that he gets caught out. That's the nature of his, his role being so high up the pitch and that kind of high risk, high reward strategy that, that Liverpool and Klopp particularly likes to play. Um, there's going to be times where he gets caught out when he occupies such a high position um, and contributing so so much to Liverpool in an offensive way. But yeah, I mean, I think he's... Do you think he's a little bit almost underrated? Which is weird to say because obviously over the last few years he's emerged as this fantastic talent and he's got a lot of plaudits in the press and the media. But do you think like amongst the, the average fan rather than the, the ex-pros, the guys who kind of go to the games every week and when they're thinking about how good a player he is, do you think there's some people that still don't really get it? Yeah, I think especially because you've seen Reese James come through at Chelsea and then obviously United went and signed Juan Pesaka for a lot of money. I think automatically them sets of fans automatically think that the the right back is better than everybody else's right yeah. back. And I think, like like you were saying, if yes, there, there are a few times where he does get caught out, like you said, but that's his positioning. But if he's getting 10 assists in January, I don't mind him conceding the odd one, two goals here if he's setting another 10 goals up. I think that's what everyone just looks at. And, you know, the, the biggest example was the Madrid game away last year where makes a couple of mistakes and everybody clips it up and everyone jumps on the bandwagon. Then, But I think he's, he's criminally underrated. Um, and I think you've seen it, you know, Klopp threw him straight into the to the fire, really, away at Manchester United when uh, Nathaniel Klein was injured, but before he really broke into the first team. And, you know, he's been a mainstay ever since. And there's always been question marks of, um, you know, we need another left-back to cover Robertson in case Robertson gets injured or Robertson's form drops off. But, 
there's never any question marks about Liverpool signing another right back to cover Trent if his form drops or, you know, we're, we're more than happy for him to be in the starting eleven. And I think, you know, he's a combination of the you know two really good right backs. I think he's defensively as good as Cancelo and going forward, I think he's miles better than Reese James. So I think all in all, I think Liverpool have got the perfect balance of a right back. And in terms of the, the goal scored in this game, obviously, Fabinho seems to have taken on the mantle himself a little bit, doesn't he, to take Mo Salah's spot in all, <laughs> all the goals he's been scoring at the moment. But Oxlade-Chamberlain, nice to see him get on the score sheet. We've been saying for a while that we've missed the Oxlade-Chamberlain of 2018 where he could, you know, get grab a game by, by the scruff of its neck and score or, score or assist or make things happen at the top end of the pitch. And I'm not suggesting that that's back or anything, because I think the injuries have obviously had a massive impact on his game. And maybe we've seen, we're seeing the latter of his Liverpool career at present, but deployed in that front three, this in this one, um, in a match where obviously Mane and Salah were absent and he gets on the score sheet. I mean, what did you make of his performance overall? I thought it was a tale of what we've seen from uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain since he's come back from that injury where he's really bright at times and then other times he, he sort of drifts out of the game. But like you said, that's to be expected. You know, he had a serious ACL injury where his, you know, his knee needed to be reconstructed. And I think for somebody whose game before the injury we saw was low gravity, getting the ball, turning, quick passes, uh, running at defenders. Obviously, I think a, his confidence might have gone at some point, and obviously, you know, he doesn't want to get injured again. Um, but I, I just think this is why you put Chamberlain in the team. I think we spoke about it last week, having Milner and Henderson in the team. I'd rather have somebody like Oxley Chamberlain in the team who's going to get on the ball, who's going to try and take players on, who's going to try and make something happen and give the ball away seven out of ten times. But as long as he's trying to make something happen, then a Henderson and Milner who's given the ball away seven out of 10 times, but he's just knocking it sideways. <laughs> um, and I think his goal is something we, we've never really seen from, from Oxley chamberlain I think all the goals, I think if you, you look at his goals for Liverpool, they've all come from either the edge of the box or they've come from him dribbling inside to the box. But this one, you know, a diving header, he anticipates the cross from Robertson. So a little bit of a different side to his game there, but I definitely think, you know, the goal and the confidence and, we're doing the world of good and with Thiago being out for God knows how long, you know, I think there's a chance for him to maybe take that box-to-box midfield role, judging off his performance. Um, we just need to hope that they, this injury that he seemed to have picked up, it literally, while he was scoring the goal, um, he obviously hurt his ankle. I mean, this is just Chamberlain all over, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I've never seen anybody score a diving header and then injure their ankle <laughs> as, as they score. Um, but I think this is just what we've come accustomed to, not just to Chamberlain, but to Liverpool players just in general over the last 18 months. Just, you know, Curtis Jones got poked in the eye and was out for six weeks. So yeah. it's, it's it's not the craziest thing in the world, but hopefully it's not too serious um, because, you know, Liverpool are crying out for some you know, creative plays in that midfield and, you know, we're probably not going to sign one in January. So, you know, we've got to try and make the use of you know, the, the more creative players that we've got. And talking about that midfield, obviously it's a key area that we seem to speak about so often at the moment, um, for obvious reasons. We know we've, we're a bit light in there. Um, but it was, don't want to say it was, it was refreshing or it was 
good, but because I think it's a bit disrespectful to the guys I'm just going to mention, but having a midfield without both Henderson and Milner in, it was it was a positive reaction from me, let's say, when I saw the team sheet and saw that we had a Curtis Jones in there rather than both the Milner and the Henderson um, situation that we have had in the last you know few weeks, particularly the Arsenal game midweek was, I mean, they're both fantastic pros. They're both Liverpool legends. They'll go down. History is you know part of the team that won the Champions League and the league. But at the moment, they're, but they're just not, when they're both on, on the field at the same time, it's just not working. And I think we've said this before and you said it last week as well, that we just can't be fielding midfield, midfields with both of those guys in at, the, at, at present. No, I mean, no, no disrespect to James Milner, but he's 36 now. And I know we can still get around the pitch. I know he still has, you know, an engine on him. But I think when Klopp, you know, first came in, and that, that second season where, you know, we went for the Champions League, you know, that is where we probably got the best out of James Milner. And ever since then, it, it, I think it's been a slow decline in his output. Still think he's got something to, to give to Liverpool, but it's it's when you're coming off the bench and you're 2-0 yeah. up and you're just trying to make sure that, that the three-points are in the bag. I don't think he should really be starting big games or must-win games for Liverpool anymore. And that's what I mean. I've got to say, Oxlade-Chamberlain, I'd rather him lose the ball seven out of ten times, but at least he's trying to take men on and he's trying to find teammates in, in, in attacking areas and he's trying to link up the play and make something happen. Then Milner, who's just knocking it from left to right and, and isn't really doing anything. So, like you said, no disrespect to Milner. You know, free transfer. He's won a Premier League and he's won a Champions League and you know, all the other Continental Cups that have come with it. Um, so there's, there's no... Oh, there's no hard feelings towards him. Um, I just think this is what happens when you come to the end of a career. I think the more you come onto the pitch, I think there's going to be more people, you know, like me and you, where you'd rather not see his name on that starting 11 sheet when it gets announced. Um, sometimes there are a few groans, but, you know, it's, it's just one of them things. And that's just where we are with the squad depth for the moment. Do you think that Curtis Jones has to basically play every single game until Thiago's back or... Or how, how yeah, I think field? I think he did, I think you know Jones played really well yesterday, considering it's his first ninety minutes for a while. Um, it, it's, at times it looked like he was playing on the left wing at times, mm. um, and he was you know cutting inside. And I just think Curtis Jones is a really tight, needy, uh, you know, tight player. Do you know what I mean? So in tight areas, he's really good at you know twisting and turning. He's good with the ball at his feet, um, and we've seen him score. He's got an absolute worldy of a goal against Brentford earlier in the season, which I think with Liverpool is at the moment we are finding it hard to break teams down. Um, and obviously having somebody who can create something from distance, can have a, can have a shot at goal, we know can score from 20, 25 yards out, makes a big difference, adds a different dimension to the game. And I think we've been waiting for him to be fit. You know, like I said, he got the eye injury and then he had COVID. Um so I think now is just your time to give him a run in the team. And listen, again, he'll do an Oxley chamberlain he'll, he'll do his best and he'll try and create something. And that's all you can ask for, really, at the moment. Yeah, and obviously it's fantastic to see Taki Minamino get on the score sheet. Came off the bench, he probably maybe was a bit disappointed not to start the game. He probably thought, you know, with Salah and Mane away and also Origi being injured, this is his time, really, to, if he really wants to make an impact and stake a claim. Um, I think we've seen enough of him now over the last 
two years to know that he's not ever going to really displace one of those front three. And at best, he's going to be a rotational forward. But that's a role that others have thrived in, Urigi, for example. So there's no reason he can't likewise um, perform well. And he got a very nice goal on his birthday. He's um, very unselfish from Bobby Firmino as always. But when you look at his record this season, he's actually scored, you know, seven goals, two in the Premier League. And almost all of the goals he scores... His goals per minute ratio is it's fantastic. It's it's really really good. So, the more he's on the pitch, the more he does seem to 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 score. Obviously, we saw him miss an absolutely basically an open goal in against Arsenal in the League Cup. But <laughs> um, basically, summed up our entire performance in that one. But his goal record is actually pretty decent. Yeah, I think. <clears throat> excuse me. I think where he's improved is is finishing in and around. The 18-yard box. I think there was, there's always been times where, where I think when, especially when he first came to the club, where he was just sort of second guessing. You know, did he? You know, could he? Does he have to pass to Mane and Salah, or can he have to shot himself? And I, I just think sometimes he got caught in two minds. Then obviously he's come from, you know, from Rob, uh, Red Bull Salzburg to Liverpool. It's a big jump up. Um, I think the the loan move to Southampton last year was probably the writing on the wall for, for Minamino. I think Klopp's probably yeah. kept hold of him because of the lack of activity last summer. Um, and it's just sort of a case of he doesn't want to be, you know, we knew that the African Cup of Nations was coming. Um, and I think he's just sort of kept him around just just for that, really, in the Carabao Cup. But, you know, fair play to him. I think, you know, he's took his, his chances well. He's obviously scored that great goal against Leicester to take it to penalties. Yeah. Um, he's scored against Norwich and Preston in the Carabao Cup and obviously it was a relatively easy finish we called it on Sunday yeah. basically put on a plate for him but you know at the end of the day it's, it still needs putting in the back of the net and you want players who are going to come on and make an impact and to be fair to him he comes on he runs around and you know he does press from the front and I do think he gives it his all when he's <laughs> on the pitch I just think maybe we expected a little bit more when, when we did eventually sign him yeah, but for, for the price you paid as well, we've got to consider seven million. I mean, it's not one of those where we've spent, if we'd spent 30, 40 million, for example, on him, and we had this output, we'd probably be more disappointed. I think that's fair to say. But given that it was basically a bargain of seven million, even though you maybe would like a little bit more, you can't be too, too annoyed about it. No, I think if you're paying seven million for a player and He's scoring, like you said, seven seven goals in the games he's played this season. Um, I, I don't think you can complain about that. I think the problem Liverpool do have it, it, with the recruitment is there's a lot of players you're going to have to say, we want you to join the club, but you're not going to start. You're not going to play every week. You're yeah. possibly not even going to come off the bench. You might even not make the, the match day squad. Um, so I think you know, seven million to have somebody who's happy for that Um you know, he's, he seems to be a quiet, shy guy. Um, very rarely seen any interviews with, with Minamino. And I think he just keeps himself to himself. So I think st- players like that can be priceless in, in, in such a, a well-knit and tight squad because you've got to keep the harmony. Um, and I think the likes of him and Origi have been have been really good to Liverpool in that regard. And obviously he, he got the goal, like I said, from a, a um, famously selfless assist from Roberto Firmino. And... We've seen this time and time again about Firmino over the years about what an integral part of the squad he is and how he'll sacrifice his own um, 
you know, role just to kind of get others into the game and set up the likes of Salah and Mane. We've seen it so often. Do you think of all the players that Klopp's worked with throughout his Liverpool career, maybe even his career in Germany as well, that Firmino is the guy that kind of epitomises everything that Klopp's about. It's all about the team. It's all about, you know, um, all for one, one for all, working hard, the pressing, everything that what you use to describe a Klopp philosophy is Roberto Firmino. I, th- I think he's going to be one when, when he does eventually leave Liverpool. I think he's going to be one of the biggest misses to this team um, for his selflessness. Like you said, he, I'd, I'd love to know how many goals he could have actually scored for Liverpool if he hadn't have, have you know set his teammates up. He, like you said, he's very selfless. Um, and to be honest, with you, I, I think Klopp. I don't know if he said thank you many times to Brendan Rodgers, but I think that might have been the only you know thank you yeah. he did because obviously Firmino came in the transfer the summer, uh, obviously before Brendan Rodgers was sacked and Brendan Rodgers was playing him as a right winger instead of <laughs> instead of the pressing mm-hmm. number nine. But um, you know we've seen it all the time. Jurgen Klopp saying that the greatest striker you can have is a pressing number nine. You know, that that is the best thing you can have in in your team and. We've seen it. He runs himself into the ground week in, week out whenever he starts. And yeah, his goal output has, has you know, declined over the last couple of years. But I think we've sort of seen Firmino get back to, to what you know we love about him and, and what he can bring the team. As I think there's now, last year, I think we were calling for Jota to start every single game. But I think this year now, I, I still think going into big games, I still think there's a, there's a large group of Liverpool fans who are thinking... I'd rather have Firmino start this just for the pressing, just just to set the, the intensity and, and set the tail for the game. And like I said, when he goes, you know, we've seen United, they, they haven't got to play recompressed. They're trying to, trying to instill this pressing identity in, into the team. And it's a very rare you know, quality to come across in a player, someone who's just willing to run around and, and not grab the headlines. Um, so it's going to be a massive miss when, when he does eventually move on. Yeah, and his, his season's been a, um, a bit disrupted as well this year, hasn't it, with injury and, and, and COVID and all those things as, um, as well. So this is the period now, again, keep kind of emphasising this, with the African Cup of Nations here, get a run of games under his belt and hopefully we see him get back to his best because he's definitely having a better season than, than last year, for example. And I think we said before about how he thrives on the crowds and now that we've got fans back in the stadiums and hopefully that's not going to change anytime soon with, with the pandemic and stuff. So it's just great to see. And he always plays with a smile on his face and his celebration with Minamino was really, really nice as well, wasn't it, against uh, Brentford on, on the weekend. And just before we move on to look ahead to the games coming up for Liverpool, it was just nice to see um, Rafa Benitez getting a little bit of love at Anfield, wasn't it, on, uh, on the weekend, given what happened to the Blues over, <laughs> over the last few weeks. <laughs> Do you know what? I'd, just when you thought the, the agent Rafa myth that, <laughs> that, that Liverpool fans have, had started just when you thought you know what no this isn't right you know he's, he's obviously not doing it on purpose the, the, when they went 2-0 behind on Saturday I did think <laughs> genuinely he can't be doing it can he like sells Dinya to pay for his own payouts from his contract getting terminated um, yeah it's um, it's it's been a funny ironic you know four months of the season <laughs> Um, and it's something that I don't think the Blues will ever let down. But will he ever manage again in the Premier League? I, I don't know if anyone will, will touch him again after what's happened at Everton. But 
it was certainly a fun four months having having Rafa in charge at Everton. Yeah, you know, the 4-1 at Goodison will always have that. And then, like you say, not only does he sell Luca Dunia, who at one stage I think Everton fans were trying to claim was a better left-back than Robertson a few years ago, um, which is obviously not something we'd agree with, but he doesn't, not only does he sell him, he sells him to Steven Gerrard, <laughs> which makes it even better. <laughs> and leaves them right in a, you know, I don't think they'll get relegated. I think there's there clearly is three worst teams this season down there, but... He's left them within touching distance of the relegation zone, um, shall we say. But yeah, I think you're right on. I'm unsure if we'll see him back in the Premier League, which is a shame because he's done great things throughout his his career, both in England and in Spain. Um, But I think he's one of those, a bit like Mourinho, in in a slightly different way, but where their style of plays may have just kind of, is it a bit more of a thing of the past now? Um, That kind of pragmatic, not negative, but a bit more defensive style of fans and owners are demanding a lot more of expansive attacking football aren't they so it would be you're probably more suited to go in somewhere somewhere else on the continent would you think yeah I think maybe Italy obviously we've seen him go there with Inter Milan obviously it's a more defensive league it's it's more tactical maybe he goes back to Spain um, but I mean I did disagree with Jamie Redknapp's comments on Saturday, or was it Sunday, um, when he, he said that uh, Rafa's a, he's a, he's like a politician. He loves causing um, problems. But I don't think it's that. I think it's, you know, he knows what he needs to get a team to thrive. And if he doesn't think a team's backing him or a man, an owner's backing him or a club's, he'll, he'll let it be known. He, he doesn't want to be the scapegoat to the fans and say, listen, you know, he did it with Mike Ashley. He said, I want more money and I want to yeah. stay. Didn't give him more money. So he left it. Yeah. But I think, like you say, everyone's looking for the next big thing now, aren't they? In, in terms of, you know, creative football. So, you know, Graham Potter's been linked to the job and Frank Lampard's being linked to the job. Play little managers who try to play this attacking brand of football. But I think with the, with the players that Everton have got, I think, you know, for this season, I think they needed a more defensively minded coach because, you know, yeah. you know, you're not going to be pl- you're not going to be playing your way out of trouble when, you know, Calvert Lewin's injured all the time. Richarlison's you never know whether he's staying or going, in, and he can go eight games without a goal. And um, I just feel a bit sorry for him. You only get one point six seven million to spend or whatever he got in the summer. Free agent, thirty year old Andros Townsend, Demari Gray, who Leicester deems not good enough a couple of years ago. Um, and you expect him to to take this the squad that obviously got um, Ancelotti the side. Well, he didn't you know, he walked away, but obviously Ancelotti was underperforming with that team. So I don't know what you expected Rafa to do with no investment. Yeah. Um I, let's be clear, like uh, Benitez isn't the problem at Everton, is he? They've not won a trophy for the best part of 25 years, and so many managers have came and gone since that kind of relative stable period with David Moyes. Um so we'll have to see what happens there. But it was great to just hear his name being sung on the cop anyway. Um, <laughs> looking ahead to the next couple of games then, it's Arsenal next in the League Cup again, um, away at the Emirates this time after a nil-nil draw at Anfield. Unfortunately, you know, you'd think ordinarily a draw in a, in a first leg of a game isn't, isn't the worst result in the, in the world, but given that Arsenal had 10 men for the majority of the game after Granite Xhaka's moment of madness again, <laughs> God knows how many red cards he's had since he joined Arsenal, it must be almost double figures. But 
it, it really it really was a quite a downbeat mood um amongst Liverpool fans after that performance on Thursday, wasn't it? We really, I think, kind of it dawned on us really that how tough it could be without Salah and Mane. Yeah, I think especially with the game getting postponed, so Liverpool would have if you believe the Arsenal fans, so Liverpool would have the, the better players available for the game, a little bit of longer rest. Um, so at that, especially when, you know, Xhaka got sent off within the first 20 minutes, you're thinking, right, the floodgates are going to open now, but I think we've seen it time and time again. Liverpool, under Jurgen Klopp, do not like playing against 10 men. 10 men against Liverpool. It, it's just worst thing anyone, you know, can, best thing anyone could do playing against Liverpool is just put everyone behind the ball because... Yeah. With that midfield, as we've mentioned, Henderson, Milner, and Fabinho, um, they're never going to break, you know, Arsenal down and and you know give them Arsenal play some credit. You know, the Ben White did defend really well, and you know Ramsdale made made a couple of good saves, but it all comes down to that Minamino chance. If he buries that, then it's it's a completely different story. But the way we performed at the at the um, at the weekend, and Arsenal obviously got a Spurs game called off. Do you think there's slightly more momentum going into Liverpool's side? Um, just where I think the, the squad must have been thinking, well, where are we going to get these goals from? Where are we going to create chances? And then all of a sudden you score three. I think that just puts you know, confidence all the way through the team. Yeah, and going back to the the 10 men um, discussion, we obviously have seen it this season um, a couple of times where a team's gone down to 10 and we've struggled. Um, however, in this one, we really were well on top with 11 versus 11, weren't we? We were absolutely peppering the um, defence. I don't think we had a shot on target, but <laughs> we were, you know, really advanced and the Arsenal Arsenal looked really un- under the cosh until Shaka got sent off. And for some reason, when Shaka got sent off, it was almost like Arsenal knew what they had to do then, as in, okay, so when it's 11 versus 11, it's like, do we go for it? It's a cup semi-final. We probably should be a bit more expansive. However, we're also playing, you know, one of the best teams in the league. And it was a bit, I think when it was 11 versus 11, they didn't really know what they should be doing to try and manage the game. But when it's 10 versus 11, all you can do is like, right, we'll just hang on for the draw. And it has made the plan a lot clearer in Arteta and those players' minds. And I think that's what obviously got them the result that was um, a better result for them than it was for us. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, especially for an away team, does it, regardless of whether you're going to Liverpool or you're going anywhere else, I think the first, any away manager will say to the players, right, just try and get through the first 15, 20 minutes and just try and gauge what the opposition are doing. And then we've either got plan A or we've got plan B. Yeah. And obviously, you know, the plan B would be going you know, 1-0 up and, and defending for your lives and Obviously, that's that's the method Arteta went with, and like I said, fair play to them. They defended really well. Obviously, we didn't have the shot on target, and Minamino well, misses that that glaring chance, and all of a sudden, it's whoever you know, it's it's on a knife edge going into the second leg, and it could be one of them games again where just one goal is enough to one goal is enough to seal it, and you don't want to be looking back at that, you know, playing against ten men in the first leg and missing that. Glorious chance, and then obviously come away thinking, what could have been if, if we don't make it to the final? Yeah, so it, with that win on the weekend, obviously that'll give the squad hopefully some more confidence. We've seen that we can score goals without you know the main the main guys there. Um, however, do you think it might be a bit 
not like a false dawn, but this game's obviously going to be much more difficult than Brentford. Um, so how do you see it playing out on the night on Thursday? I imagine it's going to be a lot tighter, a lot more cagey. It's basically winner takes all, isn't it? Given that the first leg was 0-0 in Arsenal, you'd think would have, they're going to have the crowd, but Liverpool are probably, you know, the better team on paper, even without the Salah and Mane being there. How do you see it going? I do think Liverpool will go through. I think it plays in our favour, like you said. They've got to play in front of the home crowd now. There's going to be an expectancy on on the on the team um, to to go and you know challenge Liverpool and, and try and win every 50-50 and, and to, to to be on the front foot, which will play in our hands. We've got you know Trent and Robertson who will bomb down on the counter attacks. Obviously, you've got Jota and who you know arguably could have had two three goals at the weekend. Um, and then obviously you've got Firmino in there who's you know the selflessness that we've we've already spoken about. So I do think it's going to play in Liverpool's hands and I do expect us to go through. Um, but again, it, first 20, 25 minutes is going to be crucial in this game just for Liverpool to sort of pan out what Arsenal's idea is here because we don't know after that first leg are Arsenal going to sit back and try and defend again and try and try to look on penalties or are they actually going to try and take it to Liverpool? I think it's going to come down to more what Arsenal do um, rather than what we do. Um, and in terms of, obviously, we've seen a lot of cancellations of matches, haven't we, in the last few weeks? Um, it's happened to Liverpool, it's happened to Arsenal. And today, you know, at time of recording, Burnley have had another game. I think they're asked to be postponed against Watford. I think they're currently bottom of the league, but they've got three or four games in hand, basically. Everyone's kind of at, on at, in different areas um, because of the various COVID cancellations. And there's been a fair bit of con- controversy surrounding this um you know when it when we had to cancel our game a lot of people were saying oh they're just doing it because like you said earlier they just want the best players available they're not doing it for health reasons they're doing it for sporting reasons and that's ironically something that was has now been leveled at arsenal um for postponing the game against tottenham so there's a lot of confusion the premier league have you know not been particularly consistent as usual what do you make of it all what's your take on what's going on because there's been a lot of opinions from the pundits and stuff and, and managers but we're not really got much clarity on what the specifications are for having a game called off obviously they're saying you know we have to take it on a case-by-case basis but there's got to be some kind of parameters for that yeah i, I thought the, the the basis for calling a premier league game off or to postpone it was because of the of covid cases now yeah. arsenal Arsenal's appeal is because they've got injuries. They've got players gone to the African Cup of Nations and they've got, what is it, one COVID case they've got? Um, yeah, one or two. Um, so I, th- I think, like, I, I do agree with Gary Neville and, and, and Jamie Carragher that I think teams are just abusing it now. I thought when this was all brought out, obviously with you know, the height of the cases coming back in, in early December, um, was just purely for COVID cases, but you can't go postponing games when Arsenal have known since the summer that they were going to be missing players. Yeah. And also, the sending, I uh, saw today, uh, sending Mari out on loan to Udinese. They've already sent Bouligan out on loan to Middlesbrough. And they've uh, sent Maitland-Niles on loan to Roma. So, so that's three players that they could have had. Um, so, you know, if you're happy enough to have three players go out of your club, then you should be happy enough to, 
to you know fulfill your fixtures. Um, I know I think it's the way that teams are doing it now that they're doing it very late. Um, yeah. Obviously, the, the Tottenham game was meant to go ahead on Sunday, and they only put the application in at half past five on on Friday night. So I think clubs are, are leaving it late because then it puts the Premier League in a bit of a position. Then they're under pressure to, to make a call, and the clubs just sit back and just wait for the answer. But you know, the likes of Arsenal and Burnley just go and sell Chris Wood, and then all of a sudden haven't got enough players. It's <laughs> It's just a crazy one at the moment. Liverpool's, without being biased, I think it's a different case. Obviously, the health organisation told Liverpool to shut the training ground down and the under-18s and the under-23 games got postponed as well. Yeah. Whereas the Arsenal under-23s played on Friday night, but obviously they didn't have enough players to... You know, they said they didn't have enough on the Sunday, so no one else in Europe is doing this. Everyone's, I think, Jamie Carragher said on um, the game on Friday night, um, that Bayern Munich put a 16-year-old in the squad, you know, and I think you have just got to get on with it now. Um, everyone's getting, you know, everyone in the league now. I think pretty much has had a game postponed, so it's not favouring other teams and you know doing other teams out of out of an advantage. I just think everyone's getting it at the moment, and you know the rule definitely needs looking into. Yeah, and with Liverpool as well, they obviously had a bunch of false positives, um, and you have to treat false positives of it as if they are positive don't you so that's obviously what played a big part in getting the the Arsenal game cancelled the first time around the the, the um, Emirates leg that's now happening this week um, obviously there's a lot of people on Twitter who seems to think that yeah Klopp's got such influence that it even extends to the NHS's testing um, laboratories but um, it's just obviously one of those things that that happened but I, I tend to agree that it's got getting a little bit silly now. So there's a fine line between health and you know sporting integrity, but we don't want to see teams you know having to field a full eleven of sixteen-year-olds because it's not going to be much of a contest. But there's got to be a bit more, you know, give and take. You can't just because you've got one or two out, just you know, blanket cancel cancellation. But as usual, the Premier League haven't offered a great deal of leadership on on this issue, have they? They've just kind of said. You know, or we're just assessing everything independently and then <laughs> making decisions. You know, I, for example, Tottenham, they released a statement saying that their game against Leicester, which got, did get cancelled, they originally asked for it to be cancelled and were told no. But when Leicester asked, <laughs> they were allowed it to be cancelled. And then with this one, obviously, Arsenal have cancelled it and Tottenham said it in their statement they don't believe that they asked for the cancellation due to COVID issues. So it's other factors like the injuries or African Cup of Nations absentees, which should not ever come into it. So I just think the Premier League need to be more decisive. I know every individual case or club has different factors, but there has to be something in place that we can, as fans or as viewers of the game, can understand the reasoning of it better, do you think? Yeah, I think, it, like you said, it's just an application gets made and then, and then the Premier League are just accepting it or, or declining it. There's no, we're not getting any reason from, from the Premier League. We're just sort of get, get, get given a decision and then you know, we've, we've got to go with it. But if you're calling a game off because you've got that many injuries, I think, you know, we, we wouldn't have played a game for the first six, five months of last season. We had that many injuries, but like I said, if the stuff you can control and the stuff you can't, you can control, Stop, you know, players going to international tournaments because 
you know, these dates are put two years ahead in the calendar. We all knew that the African Cup of Nations was coming. Um, but like I said before, Arsenal have, have, have let three players go out on loan this month. Um, and now the same, they haven't got enough players to fill the squad. So they're already down one defender, one midfielder and one striker. So, you know, there's there's a position for... Where they, where I think they would have been like, I think they're trying to claim because they haven't got a party. But I don't, how many, I don't even think Arsenal have got that many players that have gone. They've got Aubameyang, who they've kicked out of the squad anyway. Yeah, <laughs> um, he's coming back. And then, <laughs> yeah, and, and then Partey. So I don't know what's going on, but I do think it's rich coming from Arsenal fans and from you know, Arteta, where they're putting an appeal in to get a game postponed. But the minute we did it, you know, yeah. everyone was up in arms. And I think yeah. that's just, and I think that's what it is. I think, the way the rule is, I just think fans are just going at each other now. Um, you see the pictures. I've seen you know, the Leicester games that they got cancelled over Christmas. And then there was pictures of James Madison at the, you know, at the World Darts Championship. and everything. It, it, There's just no yeah, clarity. You, can, you get games called off. You've got people going to large events. I understand you know, people still got to live their lives and you got to enjoy. But you can't get games cancelled and you go sit in an arena full of 5,000 people. Yeah, it's, it, it's just a bit of give and take. But if the rules there to, min- to be uh, manipulated, then you can guarantee Premier League clubs are definitely going to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just before we go, obviously the next league game is Crystal Palace away. Probably a tougher prospect than, than Brentford at home. Selhurst Park, you know, could be a bit of a um, difficult atmosphere to play in. The fans are really, you know, passionate, and they'll get behind their team, and back them. And this season under Vieira, they've looked a lot better going forward than they, you know, have done in the last few years under Hodgson. They've been quite, um, quite solid, well organised, but only really Wolf Zahar was the main threat. But this year they've obviously got a few others. Zahar is away with the African Cup of Nations, but to step into that gap, they've got the likes of Elise and, and I think Eze's back and one or two others, you know, Edward. So they've got a really vast array of, of attacking options at the moment um, since Vieira's joined. So it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, for some reason, you know, we Palace always seems to be a tough game for Liverpool, um, obviously since the, the whole Dwight Gales, uh, you know, situation you know, years ago. But I think... It's been refreshing to see a team go from, like you said, the rigid 4-5-1, everyone behind the ball, lump the ball to Wilfred Zaha, see if he can do anything on his own or draw a foul and you'll try and score from a set piece. But, you know, they've signed some really good players. Some of Will Hughes, who I still can't believe is in his 30s because I think people have been talking about his potential for the last 15 (laughs) years. Um, But, you know, like you just mentioned then, they haven't, you know, gone around Europe and, and, and tried to sign the biggest talents in Europe or the Premier League. They've actually dipped into the Championship to sign Elise yeah. and Eze, which just goes to show that you know there there is talent in the lower you know in the, in the Championship. Um, and Patrick Vieira, I think, you know, he, he didn't probably have the best of time in in France managing with with Nice. I don't think he really hit the heights that I think the Nice fans expected from him, but. You know, a completely different style of play. Um, they've obviously gone to Man City and won away 2-0 this season. They've performed well against United. We're lucky to come away, unlucky to come away with a defeat. So they're not a team to be taken lightly. And if you've got two quick players like Eze and um, 
and Elise, and then you've got Edward, who's a big, strong player. He's just like a quicker Benteke and yeah. better finishing. I think if you've got someone like that, I think they're always going to be a threat. Yeah, fingers crossed that we can get another couple of wins and we'll be back next week to talk about what's next for Liverpool. But until then, that's all from us. So, James, thank you for your time as always. No problem. Thanks for having us again. And until next week, if you want more from us, you can visit our website, anfieldcentral.co.uk and on our Twitter at anfield underscore central. Um, But until then, thank you and goodbye.